Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jamie Baines. Today's guest is someone who is not just one of my favorite people in the Richmond Police Department, but is one of my favorite people in life, Tish Edmonds. Tish is a sergeant with the police department and is currently the supervisor of the community care unit. Before that, she was a domestic assault detective in the Youth and Friendly Crimes Unit. Tish and I talk about her time in both units, as well as her hope and advice for current and future Richmond police officers. Sit back and take a listen to our interview. And a disclaimer before you start. I dropped the F-bomb a couple times at the end of the interview while recounting one of the funniest exchanges Tish had while in field training. So listeners with sensitive ears, be warned. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey Tish, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Good, thanks for coming on the podcast. Can you introduce yourself? I am Sergeant Tish Edmonds, Richmond Police Department. And Tish, what do you, um, you've done a lot of stuff within the department. I know you were, um, I want to talk to you about a couple things. For a number of years, you worked in the domestic violence section of the police department, right? Yes. And what did that kind of entail, and how long did you do that for? I did that for six years, and um, it entailed just <clears throat> responding to our most horrific domestic violence cases, and we were doing that so often that we came up with um, the divert program. And what that is, is those cases that were misdemeanors, um, but frequent, we still went out because we don't want people to experience, you know, a felony case. Because felony means you are, um, you're wounded to the point that you you have maybe a permanent disability, disabled, permanent scar, you're stabbed, you're shot. So while people were at the misdemeanor pushing, shoving, and just, bruises we wanted to engage then so it would not become a felony so it was a lot of cases just two of us worked that for six years and so just so people know there's a difference between a domestic assault and a simple assault correct yes what is the difference in like the prosecution wise and like what police officers have to do with each one of them well a simple assault case will go to just criminal criminal court and that involves, you know, just like your neighbors or a stranger or someone that you don't intimately, intimately know. Mm-hmm. A domestic assault involves intimate partners. So spouse, ex-spouse, uh, siblings, boyfriends, girlfriends. That does include um, same-sex couples as well. And so if you cohabitate for a year, mm-hmm. you are domestically tied. So even if, if we get to the scene and y'all are boyfriend, girlfriend, you're not married, you're living together... You, that you consider a domestic um, relationship. You have a child in common that's also domestically tied. Whether you are together or not, if you share a child in common and one assaults the other, you will have a domestic assault charge. Now, what that means is instead of us saying, um, we'll advise you to go to the magistrate and get your own warrant, in domestic assault, the police officer shall go get a warrant and a protective order. There's no... Um, We'll go wrong with that. There's no discretion with that. The officer must get the protective warrant and get the warrant. And then instead of going to criminal court, you go to juvenile domestic relations court. And that's a family court. And all they listen to are juvenile cases and cases involving families. So you have a whole different set of judges down there. Are penalties any stiffer for somebody convicted of a domestic assault versus a simple assault? The, the code section says you your first offense, you get uh, 12 months suspended time, and you have to go to anger management class, and that time is suspended. And what that means is kind of hovering over your head. So in the event the offender um, reoffends, 
they get another new charge plus that time hanging over their head that comes back um, as well. And isn't there a protective order associated with a simple assault domestic charge? Yeah, and the protective order that the officer gets is um, an EPO. Mm-hmm. It's for 72 hours. And then the next one, um, the victim must get the protective order and go down to the court and petition for it. And that's for 14 days. And after that's over, you can get a permanent one, which is for two years. And you said mm-hmm. you worked with another detective. And you said, were you guys pretty much overwhelmed? Are there just so many domestic assaults out there? We were completely overwhelmed. Some departments have domestic assault units where you have six and seven detectives working plus an advocate. Um, we just had just us. It was just two of us for the entire city of Richmond. And we did have advocates that were in the court, but the advocates in the court worked for the court system. So they had to deal with all the cases that come through the court, and it was just four of them. So we, we used them. They were there. But, however, like I said, they also had to deal with all the other cases including some homicide cases that came through family court. So we didn't have our own advocate, which was unfortunate because we really could have used um, an advocate to do some some more resources and outreach and kind of if you had to have somebody relocated or they didn't understand a protective order. We needed somebody for that. Now, we, we still did it. Mm-hmm. So we were really overwhelmed <laughs> with casework <laughs> as well as resources. But we did it. But it was just uh, a lot of cases for two people to um, to investigate. Can you give me an idea, like, how many cases would one detective handle a month? Just ballpark it, would you say, just on an average? I had, like, 45, 50 cases. Because you talk about the city of Richmond. And so all the felonies immediately came to us. And mm-hmm. then we had the, the buffer where we had, if you have two misdemeanor reports, that came in, mm-hmm. we still took that because we don't want you to become you know, a felony case. I don't need you in the emergency room. I don't need you dead. So why you, where's a misdemeanor status? We still went in. So we took those cases as well. And then if you have a case that was done and gone and everybody good, but they somebody reoffends, and the sergeant at the time will look and see who had that family last, we get that case too. And then we had CPS referrals um, coming in if they had a domestic undertone to them. So we had cases coming in from everywhere. Um, so I had a lot of cases. And would you get the um, the victims of the assault, would they generally want to prosecute or would they change their minds halfway through or how did that work? They would usually change their minds halfway through. So what I did was how we curtailed that is we tra- treat it like a homicide case. Because a homicide case, you don't have a victim either. Mm-hmm. So I would, we went more of an evidence-based prosecution. So we would get 911 tapes, and we would get jail tapes, and we would get um, the officer on scene, witnesses. So if the victim didn't want to speak, we still can prove that a crime happened because we had medical photos and all of these things. Officers took photos when they were there. So we would operate as if the victim was not there in the event he or she didn't want to go forward. And would you guys prosecute without the victim being in court? We did sometimes if we had enough. And uh, we had really good prosecuting attorneys. And uh, you'll be surprised what people say on the jail tapes. Even then they said, this call is being recorded. It's like, come on, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it just confessed the whole thing. <laughs> and so I just record. We just have the jail tapes. And so we hit play. And a lot of times the victim was furious with me because we went forward. Mm-hmm. And if, if we felt that 
going forward would put the victim in more danger because they had made up and, sh- and he or she was still there. We would go at it a little differently, but sometimes the victim was long gone and, and the, the offender was gone, they, but that's still her child's father or his his um, child's mother, and I don't want the person to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, the children are the secondary victims, and so them hearing and seeing violence in the home is not what we want either because they will what we have seen and studies have shown is they sometimes grow up to offend because all they know is violence they don't know how they do not know how to deal with conflict healthy in a healthy way mm-hmm. they just know how mom and daddy did it um and so we try to we have child savers to help the kids through it's a, so many richmond resources to help families um, that want the help. So we steer them in the right direction. I follow up. I still call. Even when the case is gone over and it's done, I still call, hey, how you doing? What's going on? You all right? Um, to, to the victim, because they need to know that we're still there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just your detective working your case. I, I care, and I'm still there, and I'm going to follow you through it. Even when it's done, I'm going to still follow through and make sure you're all right. Did you enjoy the work? Did you enjoy that um, that part of the job? I did enjoy it because I saw a lot of um, people that were in really violent situations um, get out of them. And sometimes they went back. Sometimes they didn't listen to me initially. And then on their own, I had a gentleman that had a, a, a girl that was trying to kill him. And at the time, she he just wasn't, he's like, no, she's good. No, no, no. And so I just kind of document, document, checked on him. And then one day out the blue, he shows up at headquarters and he was like, oh, I'm ready. Uh, I said, what happened? He said, I was sleeping and I woke up and she was just standing over me with this look on her face. <laughs> so I was like, that would, yeah, you that would do it. <laughs> so I was like, that would do it. So, but, but he had to be ready to make this, the steps, but I didn't give up on him. I was there the whole time checking and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, you see a lot of people just kind of go through their emotions and then all of a sudden something clicks. They're like, okay, I'm ready to be in a safe place. I'm ready to be happy and ready to be you know, in a peaceful place. And I'm there for that too. So it was rewarding work. And, and then what do you do now? Because you kind of, you, you got promoted, and then you, you kind of rolled over, and you do the same kind of outreach work now, don't you? Not necessarily for domestic victims, but explain what you do now. Now I'm the community care and CAP sergeant, and the community care unit is all the um, the, the community outreach. You kind of the RPD's face. So when something goes on in a neighborhood, um, this unit goes out to kind of, at us, our community partners, our faith leaders, we go out with resources. We check on um, the community. We do national night out. We do. Um, we did not anymore. Uh, shot with a cop because of the virus. That's that's gone. Mm-hmm. But shot with a cop. Um, back to school drive. So we do all of the, all the happy fun stuff. And we still have groups. Like I have one officer that works with um, at risk youth. He goes into Bonaire for the uh, firearm felon. Um, um, guys in there and it's a program that he does with them so when they come out they're not back in the same space they're not in the same headspace um there's job opportunities there's there's resume building there's things to get people okay yes this happened but this does not define you okay we're going to heal get you healed through this and then we're going to push forward so this this unit does a lot of let's see where you are help you where you are because you're not going to stay here Mm -hmm. And it's not who you are. It's not who you are. We're gonna we're gonna push forward. And just like we had the homicides in Bell Atlantic Apartments, we've been over there a bunch, um, helping those families because the kids, 
and the parents are afraid to even come outside. Mm-hmm. And so when we did our reset, they said that we are afraid to even come outside. Um, so we were just talking to them, pouring into them and the rental office. And we have a lot of community partners, despite what y'all see on TV, we have a lot of community partners that really want the best for the citizens here. And we really work with a lot of nonprofits and a lot of uh, ministers, a lot of churches. And we do a lot of community outreach, a whole lot. And, and I love it because it's, that's also rewarding. Well, and you touched on something right then. You said, you know, about what you see on TV, because a lot of times the TV portrays the relationship between the police and the community in a negative light. But that is not the case, is it? That's not the case. And, and the, the media sometimes, um, I mean, they have a job to do and they have ratings attached to what they do. So I'm going to leave that right there. But the, <laughs> the community, and to what, what I'm seeing, loves the police department. Cause they'll say, hey, y'all got a bad deal last year. Speaking of the unrest, y'all got a bad deal last year. Y'all, we, we support y'all. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. I hear that more, more, almost daily when we go out. Thank you for what you do. And I think some of it is I get this sense of they don't want us to give up on them, mm-hmm. you know, because of how the media portrays things. And that's not what's what's happening. The officers in this unit, they will do something and they say, hey, uh, I was talking to somebody. And there's a need to have this. Can we do this? Or, you know, we're talking about an economic empowerment workshop for to get people if you don't know how to body resume, let's help you do that. Instead of just giving you free stuff all the time, let me help you get you away from where you are so you can do better. You know? So they and suicide prevention, we're talking about that now. Can we do that? Because suicide prevention is is, is we need to do that. We have a lot of suicides right now. Um, so even we have our jobs to do and our plates are all full. The officers here want to do more and they make a phone call to a nonprofit or a minister or a community group, and they're like, yes, we want to help you. Oh, absolutely. People call us, hey, can you have this drive over here? Hey, I want to partner with y'all to do X, Y, and Z. So we're seeing the total opposite of what the media is portrayed. And you guys are getting support from all communities, is that correct, within the city of Richmond? Yes. All of them. Not just yes. not just maybe the better off communities or anything like that, but all communities. All communities. All communities everywhere. And that's what and people need to it's see. It's wonderful to see. Yeah, it's wonderful to see. It's very, this position here is very, very rewarding. Very rewarding. And police officers aren't just there to arrest people, which I think a lot of people put that out there as well. I think that's a, that's a, obviously police officers do arrest, but I think pe- police officers are more problem solvers than just locking people up and throwing away the key. Yes, that's 100% correct because when, 911 is called, then someone's having a, a horrible day. Something has, has gone wrong. But it doesn't necessarily always mean, at the end of the day, jail time. You know, mm-hmm. something's happened that we can figure out what's happening, slow to, slow everything down, figure out what's happening, and then problem solve. It's like you said. It does not mean, okay, you call me, y'all going, somebody going to jail. No. Right. right. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not where we are. Despite of what everybody hears on TV, <laughs> that's not where we are because that's not, that's not a solution because then you have, to me, um, going to jail is still traumatic for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, someone has left the home and then there's an expense tied to that. And then there's a label tied to that. And then when you, if you go to jail, jail or the prison, you come out, there is a label on you mm-hmm. after that. And you are restricted from sometimes voting, um, some type of jobs that you may be able to, you could have been able to get, you can't, places you can live. 
And so what does that do to the mind? This is who I am. This mm-hmm. is who I'm going to be. And that leads a whole down a whole nother road. So no, and arrest is not, um, not a solution. If we can avoid that, we are going to avoid that and do something else to keep, to keep the family or keep people together and get them in a better space, head space and physical space. Do you still like working for the Richmond Police Department? I do. I know, you know, there's uh, still talking about media, negative, negative stuff and officers leaving. Um, and wh- why do you like the Richmond Police Department, Tish? Because the city, the residents are good people. Mm-hmm. So even last year with the unrest, I was still happy coming to work. And it sounds crazy, but let me tell you why. Um, for me, I can just speak for John Edmonds. Mm-hmm. For me, um, and I, I go, I'm a I'm a praying woman. This is what's going on right now is spiritual warfare. So what I have done, I've divorced myself from all the politics mm-hmm. because when we are dealing with citizens, they're at home sleep. Mm-hmm. It's the police department and the citizens out dealing with citizens. Everyone else is at home sleep. So, and yes, they make decisions. Yes, they um they have macro things to look at and all that. I understand that, but I had to divorce my mind from what goes on politically because to me, it's irrelevant. We are going to to we're going to push forward. We're going to treat everybody the same. We're going to help people who need help because people need help. Mm-hmm. Whether they know it or not, they need help. So I'm going to help you regardless of whether you want it or not. We're going to talk. Um, I'm going to talk to you like I'm talking to you right now. No need to yell, cuss, fuss. You know, if you're uncussing at me, I'm, I have, um, I'm really good with talking to people. So I like to bring people down a little bit and we talk and we're going to work through it. And when you, when, for me, I'm walking with God. So I'm following what God says. He says, love all people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to do. So to me, it is just that simple. So everything else is just um chaos and i don't do chaos so y'all can do that up there or over there or down there i'm gonna treat everybody the same <laughs> all over with you i'm gonna treat everybody the same if you need help i'm there and so i like to help people and um if it's a couple days because i can't fix everything right now or if you're not ready to i can't do that right now but i can do this i'm gonna treat everybody the same i'm gonna love all people i'm gonna push for it and to me it is just that simple well, and, and even we'll, last year, huh? Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I mean, go, you keep. And even <laughs> even last year, um, with a hundred and some odd days of of unrest, it still was um some things you can't unhear, unsee. But I had to stay prayed up, mm-hmm. and I had to um stay in a space of people have got to be mad because what's been going on. Yes, and I have two sons at home, so I totally get it. Yes. And reform is needed, yes, because th- things need. We need to talk. We mm-hmm. need to have some discussion. This what's been going on is not working. Let's talk about redoing some things. It's a conversation, but s- burn the city down. You know that's that's not the way to do it. To do it, mm-hmm. but even even that, those folks, for me, what I did every day. I do mean every day. I came to work, midnight shift or day shift. Pray over the grounds. I pray over the protesters. I pray over us. I just everybody needs to just kind of just get in a better space so we can talk about moving forward and how to do that. So I was, I'm perfectly in a perfectly happy place because I'm walking with God. So. And how long have you been with the police department, Tish? 20 years. You said it, 20 know, right? years, 20 years. And for, I was, 20. I was Tish's field training officer, just so, <laughs> so everybody knows. And, and uh, when she talks about 
uh, talking some people down. I might discuss that at a different time. But anyway, maybe down in Shaco Bottom. <laughs> but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. The uh, what what advice would you give to officers who are thinking about joining the Richmond Police Department? Younger officers who are here and maybe looking to go elsewhere. Do you have any any advice for them? I would say first pray on it because mm-hmm. you pray on pray on your decisions. And I would say walk your own walk. You cannot base your police career um, on what people are saying, other people's experiences. The citizens here need us. Mm-hmm. Um, they need a diverse police department. They need us. The officers here do a really good job. In my 20 years, I have not seen anything illegal with our police department. I have not seen. Mm-hmm. So our officers really care about the citizens here. So I would say make up your own mind and walk your own path, and you cannot let what goes on politically determine what you do. Yes, you know, pay and conditions, all that. That will iron itself out. It's always something to bicker about if you let it get to you. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't walk in that right there. It's negativity. You can't walk in that right there. I'm not telling you to ignore pay, but I'm just saying for me, I've ignored. It doesn't matter to me. It mm-hmm. does not matter because when I go help somebody, and I will tell you something else really quick. Mm-hmm. Working in headquarters, you hear a whole lot. So I close my door a lot. You hear a whole lot, and it can keep you in this negative space. So at one point, I had a day that I was really tired, and so I have to. I, I heard a lot of negativity, and it was just giving me a headache. So I closed my door. <laughs> Went downstairs to um to do something administratively, and this woman was having a hard time. She was yelling at the information desk employee. Um, she was frustrated, and me talking to her, I sat her down in the chair. I said, "What's wrong?" And she told me what was wrong, and I was able to help her. And she left thanking me. That interaction meant so much to me. Versus the political da, 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 you hear all around the building mm-hmm. that you just can't just and I said see that that citizen interaction is what is important. So I would tell the officers here and the ones that are coming, your interaction with the citizen is so rewarding, and it's not just another call because yes to you it's a report call. Yes, you've got to look at it as someone is calling because they don't know what to do, and so when you show up, yes it could be a minor call to you. But to somebody, it's amazing. Like somebody's car got stolen. It's a report. We're done. Clear up. No, somebody's car is stolen. You're right. And what are they going to do? And how do they get to work? And how do they pick up their kids? So you have got to have some compassion for everybody because they don't know what to do. And so think about if that was your mom, your sister, your brother, your uncle. How would you want them to be spoken to? You know? Yep. Think about that. And toxic breeds toxic too, because if you're yes, it does. If you're surrounded by it and just immersed in it, like you said, you just need to get pull away from it. So I would agree with you, and also tell people, and within police officers and everywhere for that matter, if you're around toxic people, remove yourself from them. Yes, immediately, and, and just you can just say you can just walk away, or you can just say. I just say, I'm not participating in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Y'all have a nice day. Or if they're walking and I'll, if they're in my office, I'll go, oh, let me walk you out. And I'll get up and I'll walk them to the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, you know. So find, whatever you want to say that you don't want to sound, or you can just say, I'm not, I don't do gossip. Whatever you want to say, it'll take you a couple times to say it and they'll know, oh, don't talk to him or her because they don't want to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank now, you. I appreciate that. Now, Tish, before we go, can we bring up 
the phrase I always say with you? That was a yes, but that was a long time that ago. Was a, let, let, let everybody know. I was in the church. Let every <laughs> before you were in the church. All right, let everybody. Let's set. Can we you know set up the situation? Or you want me to do it? You do it. All right. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say that word. Oh, you're I'm not gonna say that word. word. Oh, you don't. You what? All right, look. All right, so here we go. So as I said, I was Tish's field training officer, and this was back in '95. Tish, no, when was it? Twenty years ago? What was that? I can't even do the no, math. It, was, it had to be 2000 because I was, Okay. <clears throat> two, yeah. 2000. So we're working Shaco Bottom. And for people who don't know, Shaco Bottom is a um, large area for, for um, college kids to hang out. And at the end of the night, people get kind of rowdy. So we try to kind of move people along. So, again, this is Tish in field training with me. I, I, give her a, I give her a rating every night based on how she drives, how she talks to people. So, anyway. So <clears throat> we're moving. We're getting, telling people to move along. And excuse my language. I know Tish is in the church, but again, this is this is in the past. We're um so she asked some women to move along, and they were like, "Who the fuck does she think she is?" And do you want to say what your answer was? You say it, Jamie. <laughs> so my trainee Tish Edmonds looks at him and says, "Well, at the time you were Tynes." She says, yeah. she, "She said I'm Tish Tynes. That's who the fuck I am." And Tish got a five out of five that night for citizen interaction because I will never, ever, ever forget a trainee saying that <laughs> to a group of citizens. And then, you know, he looked at me and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, oh, that is that 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 is a I still need to get that line on a T-shirt. But anyway, Tish. <laughs> Thank you very much for talking. I always love talking to you, um, and I hope you come back and talk to us again. Oh, absolutely! It was an absolute blast. Anytime you need some, you know, me to come over, I'll come over, come over, come on. I don't mind at all. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Tish. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. That's it, guys. As you can tell, I truly enjoy talking to Tish. She's no nonsense and straight to the point. She's been with the Richmond Police Department for 20 years and still enjoys the work and helping the citizens of Richmond. I did too. A lot of officers and citizens have truly put their blood, sweat, and tears into making the city of Richmond a better, safer place. That's why Tish's interview is going to be the first in a Hope for Richmond series of podcasts. In them, I'll be talking to different people from different organizations who believe in Richmond and know that together we can make it a safer, viable city for all of its residents and visitors. I hope you stay tuned. Thanks for listening.